Welcome to season eight of The Global Inquirer. We're an undergraduate research podcast based in the University of Virginia, and each week we bring you stories from across the world to explain how global trends are impacting real lives. I'm your host, Emma Ross. Today, we'll be discussing what happens when fake news and the pandemic collide, and we'll be bringing you an explanation of fake news stories in a Russian and Eastern European context. Today, I'm sitting down with Zoe Calderazzi, a second-year foreign affairs major. How are you doing? I'm good, Emma. Thank you. Awesome. So let's start our episode today by establishing a common definition between us about what fake news is. Okay, that sounds great. So I think in the past we've seen fake news used to refer to entire news organizations or even just American mass media in general. But fake news actually refers specifically to news stories that are fabricated or exaggerated in some way, and they can be either misinformation or disinformation. And misinformation is news that is untrue or false regardless of the intent of who created it. So it could be something that's just incorrect that's spread unintentionally, while disinformation is made intentionally to be misleading. So that would be something like propaganda. Interesting. I think we'll keep in mind the fact that fake news can be spread either intentionally or unintentionally for the rest of the episode. But now isn't the only moment in time in which fake news is important. Let's put fake news in a larger context besides just what we see on Twitter or Facebook. So fake news isn't something that started with the advent of Twitter. It actually started at the end of the 19th century during the advent of yellow journalism. And this was when rival newspapers were inventing ludicrous headlines in order to attract a larger audience. But that sort of ended towards the middle of the 20th century when we saw the rise of very reputable news organizations like Broadcast News and newspapers like the New York Times or the Washington Post. Yeah, I remember the first time I kind of became aware of the fact that fake news was a thing out there that I had to watch out for, that I had to check surprising stories that I heard against multiple sources. The first time that I really became aware of this was maybe back in 2016, more so. I think we would read news stories maybe about different election issues, and there was a lot of discussion about whether or not it was impacting our elections here in the United States. Yes, that's that's definitely right. There was a controversy in the 2016 election where we were seeing a lot of fake news stories on social media sites, especially sites like Facebook, that were intentionally made to support the campaign of Donald Trump for president. And what we were seeing were there were a lot of these sites where people who are are called trolls were spreading these stories on social media and they were meant to defame Hillary Clinton and paint her as a criminal or to be in failing health. And the research into that actually revealed that it was part of a campaign by Russia to influence the election outcome. Gotcha. And thanks for being so specific. I think what we were talking about kind of reminded me of this excellent Radiolab episode that I was listening to to kind of advertise for a podcast within a podcast, which we are not sponsored by. But the podcast talked a lot about how there were actually places set up, kind of like working offices people would wake up and go to and write fake news stories and then go home for the day. And that was their job. 
But of course, these are all fake news stories that relate to what happened back in 2016. And today we're here to bring you a story about what fake news happens when it combines with the pandemic. So let's bring this conversation into a more current context. What have we been seeing lately when it comes to fake news in combined with the coronavirus pandemic? Right. There's unfortunately been quite an explosion of fake news during this pandemic that we're in which is really dangerous because in a public health crisis like this, you need people to have access to accurate information so that they're more likely to follow public health safety measures like wearing masks or social distancing and so that they're more likely to accept vaccination. And unfortunately, one place where disinformation about COVID-19 has been really prominent is in Ukraine. And the problem in Ukraine is that there's been a bunch of disinformation about the vaccines which has made it really difficult for Ukraine to find people who are willing to be vaccinated. And this fake news is saying things like that the vaccines they have available in Ukraine, which are the AstraZeneca and Sinovac variations, um, that they are poor quality or dangerous. And the researchers with the United Nations actually found over 250,000 social media posts containing disinformation about COVID in Ukraine. Yeah, that's crazy because all of the vaccines that are widely available now, the AstraZeneca, the Pfizer vaccine, all of those the EU has done independent research on and they wouldn't approve the vaccines if they weren't safe. And these results go through multiple studies, multiple doctors, multiple review boards. If something were wrong, they would undoubtedly catch it. But of course, you see one news story if you're a Ukrainian that says, careful what you put in your body, this might be safe. Something else kicks in where you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't because maybe it's not safe. When, of course, we know scientifically that the benefits of taking the vaccine far outweigh the risk. We take the flu vaccine every year, and that has a lot less efficacy than what we're seeing with the COVID vaccines. So having any uncertainty about vaccinating yourself to prevent this public health crisis would have catastrophic effects, especially now. Yeah, and and it really has, unfortunately, because, as I was saying before, researchers in Ukraine have found that many people believe that their risk of contracting COVID-19 in the first place is low, which, of course, is not encouraging people to follow public safety measures, because why would you follow those measures if you believe that you're not going to get sick? And they've done one study that showed that one-third of Ukrainian health officials indicated that they would not get the vaccine were it made available to them. So it's just been a really dangerous situation. Right. And this reluctance to trust authority, it probably stems from issues more endemic to Ukrainian politics and systems and cultural associations and people's experiences with trusting authority. So it seems like living in a country with less certainty in your public officials predisposes you to being less trusting of larger initiatives like vaccines. Of course, it isn't necessarily the average everyday Ukrainian citizen that's sitting down and writing these articles. Rather, these articles are entering Ukraine, perhaps sometimes through other means by other actors with other motives. But before we get to that, let's just broaden our case study here a little bit. Ukraine isn't the only country in which fake news stories have been having effects, especially when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you maybe introduce another country that's having similar problems? Yeah, of course. Another country that's unfortunately facing the same type of crisis is the Czech Republic. 
Um, the Czech Republic currently has the third highest COVID-19 infection rate in the world and also the third highest death rate. But despite that, people have been very wary of the vaccine. There have just been waves of fake news on social media sites and messaging apps also within the Czech Republic that are spreading fear about getting the vaccine. Um, and this is from Medical Express. These stories are claiming that COVID-19 vaccines can change your DNA, which is also a conspiracy theory of sorts that is cropped up in the United States, or even that the vaccines will just cause you to die outright. Right. And it's very important to add here that these theories have no scientific basis whatsoever. And also to put in context, these are real lives that are being risked when people aren't getting vaccinated. I took a course on the COVID-19 pandemic over this past January, and we talked a lot about this important concept called herd immunity, which I'm going to just explain real quick, is the point of getting a vaccine isn't to vaccinate every single individual. And in some cases, individuals might not be able to take the vaccine because they have an absent immune system, etc. So the point of putting out the vaccine is to get enough individuals vaccinated so that you won't come in contact with someone who's been able to develop the disease themselves. So basically the point of getting vaccines is to produce this herd immunity, which is jeopardized when people decide that they won't get vaccinated because of personal reasons and, oh, I'm just one person. Well, no, you're not just one person because you combine with an entire society of people to produce this herd immunity to protect people who might not be able to get vaccinated for medical reasons. So the fact that fake news is spreading at this moment is incredibly dangerous to this concept of societal protection. And these articles that are coming out, they're dangerous, they harm people, but the question is, do some actors think that it's beneficial to them to be putting this out, whether it's random individuals or a more targeted attack. And I think now we'll move into the part of the podcast where we talk about the actors. Who specifically is putting out some of these fake news stories on purpose? Well, what's been researched and sort of unearthed is that a lot of these stories about the COVID-19 vaccine that are, of course, demonstrably false are actually originating in Russia. And there's several reasons for this. One of the more minor reasons is that Russia is attempting to boost their own vaccine, the Sputnik vaccine, at the cost of some of the other vaccines that are more popular in Western Europe and in America, like the Pfizer vaccine. And the reason that people have been coming to this conclusion is that the fake news that's been spread in these countries like Ukraine and the Czech Republic are not mentioning Sputnik as being dangerous, but they are talking about the other ones as, as being dangerous. So you're telling me that Russia is benefiting from sowing seeds of uncertainty into some vaccines, but not their own. Right, exactly. At the end of the day, they do have an interest in making sure that their own population will take their own vaccine at some point. But yeah, Russian-controlled media outlets have even suggested that the Pfizer vaccine will kill people that receive it. But the market share of their vaccine is not the, the only way that they are planning on benefiting from the spread of disinformation. Right. I mean, I feel like Russia knows that it gets multiple benefits from people choosing to take their vaccine over others. You mentioned there's economic benefits from investing into the vaccine, but there's also a lot of soft power benefits. I mean, we know that since the Cold War, there's been this mindset that 
Russia and the West are competing for soft power influence, especially in Eastern Europe. So if Eastern European countries decide to take a Western vaccine, maybe that signals that those countries are moving politically more to align with those Western countries versus if Russia can push its own vaccine in terms of soft power. That means those countries trust Russia more. They're more willing to align their foreign policy goals with Russia potentially in the future so that Russia gains power economically and politically through furthering their own vaccine. Yeah, that's a a really good point. And actually, I think this would be a great time to bring in a point made by someone who I actually sat down and had an interview with, and that's Professor Brovskaya Ellis of the UVA Slavic Language and Literature Department. Professor Brovskaya Ellis received her bachelor's degree in St. Petersburg and her master's degree from the University of Missouri, and she is currently a Russian language professor here at the University of Virginia. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to say because if I read about the confrontation between countries, it's basically done by the official media, uh, and so this is one of the favorite subjects of the official media: is Russia being persecuted or being bullied by the rest of the Western world. So honestly, all I know that they do suspect Putin in creating this new page in the international politics, being this big guy protecting the country. But at the same time, some of the things that America or Europe say about Russia officially, and you can read it in Western media, do make Russians wonder. Yeah, this is his main card to, to show mm-hmm. people that look at this, look at this, look at this. Everybody wants a piece of Russia. And remember before me, those people, they never could protect Russia. They let Russia being sold out to all those Western companies. They, so he always compares himself to... For example, Yeltsin, who was before him, he always reminds us of the 90s after the Soviet Union collapsed. So there is this always idea of a threat that it's either the West or it's the return to this chaos that happened after the Soviet Union collapsed. So as Professor Brovskaya Ellis was saying, it's part of Putin's strategy as a politician to create the perception that Russia is under attack from the West and from the United States. Um, And this is part of his strategy to prop up himself as a necessary authoritarian leader within Russia. And I think that was a very interesting point. Interesting. So we've established that it is somewhat in Russia's interest to sow these seeds of doubt through the vehicle of fake news. We've talked a little bit about how that impacts Ukraine and the Czech Republic, but how maybe is it going to impact us here in the United States? You're completely right that this disinformation created by Russia has far-reaching implications, and part of the danger in the United States specifically is that we already have quite a few people here who are not trusting in vaccines. So what can happen is this disinformation that's aimed at decreasing vaccine trust even further could really find a strong foothold in the United States. For example, in November, a poll found that 40% of U.S. adults said that they were either definitely or probably going to refuse to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Part of the reason it's been so hard to combat this fake news for this vaccine specifically is that the COVID-19 vaccine is brand new. Unlike something like the flu vaccine, which we've had for a while, it was just created very rapidly. And a lot of people are skeptical because They think, oh, this vaccine was rushed. It's not safe. They made it too quickly. I won't take it. 
Right. And if Russia sees itself as our strategic adversary, then it might be beneficial for them to sow these seeds of doubt and attack America's precious herd immunity. Again, the point isn't that everyone get vaccinated, but that as many people as possible who are eligible get vaccinated to protect people. To watch the spread of these false news stories on the amount of people getting vaccinated is especially interesting because we know in the U.S. and across the world, every adult has gotten vaccinated for polio and we're able to effectively eradicate that. So this time around, we're really able to watch how vaccination unfolds via social media and how people get their information about these vaccines and spread their opinions on whether or not they want to take them. We mentioned that Russia plays a huge part in releasing all of these stories, but let's back up and talk a little bit about how we absolutely know that Russia is doing this. Right. Well, perhaps very predictably, Russia has denied that they've had any part in this. However, the New York Times has reported that researchers studying disinformation in Sweden um, have been able to trace fake news stories, and they found that these stories start out on Russian-owned websites and then are picked up by hyper-partisan news outlets in the countries that are being targeted. And then from those people, it spreads throughout the country. So we've established that these news stories are coming from Russia, and we've established that it furthers their foreign policy goals. But why has Russia specifically decided that fake information should be the vehicle of furthering those foreign policy goals? What made them choose the tactic of false information? Right. Well, disinformation and the manipulation of information has actually been a, a widely used tool in Russia for a very long time now, for about 100 years, in fact. Russia actually established an office dedicated specifically to propaganda and disinformation as early as 1923. And disinformation was also a principal component of the KGB strategy. And that's via NBC News. So since Russian media is very closely controlled with Russian politics, the Russian state can kind of decide a policy that it wants to have for what to do with media. So besides in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, how else has Russia employed the weapon of fake news? Right, there are a plethora of examples of the impacts that Russian disinformation has had in a host of different places. For example, according to The Guardian, it's been used to create confusing and malicious reports aimed at undermining Europe's response to COVID-19. And according to the EU officials, the goal of the Kremlin in this area has been to worsen the public health crisis in Europe. Also, for example, there were conspiracies that were started by Russia that the CIA assassinated President Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr., and in the 1980s, there was a huge conspiracy theory, also started by Russia, that the United States had created AIDS. And that bit of disinformation actually was able to spread to 80 countries and was in 30 different languages. And unfortunately, was very effective at creating distrust in the United States government and at creating AIDS denialism abroad. And that's another public health crisis that Russian disinformation has impacted in the past. And because these disinformation campaigns can be so dangerous and so impactful, it's really important that people have high-quality news that they can trust and are not following fake news stories. And Russia is also seeking to stir up anti-American sentiment. And they're doing this by pushing fake news stories about the role of the United States in Europe. 
For example, there are over 40 Russian sites operating in the Czech Republic that are pushing anti-America and anti-European Union stories. And unfortunately, this is taking a real effect. In a recent survey, a quarter of Czechs said they believed in the fake news stories to some extent, and only one-third said that they had a positive view of the European Union. So we've just been talking about how Russia often uses the tool of fake news. Since we have this valuable perspective, maybe let's turn to the professor to ask about what effect this has had on Russians themselves and how they feel about fake news. Because people who went out on the protests, people who protested, they all were invited to the protests via internet and TikTok and other channels. And so I feel there is a big division between those platforms and then the official media where they were saying the opposite thing, like, don't you, don't let your kids go to the protest, make sure you're not involved in this illegal operation. So it's like really divided. I think, yes, there is strong desire in general for a change. So, for example, when here Biden was elected, I got messages from Russian friends saying, oh, congratulations. Oh, they, like America did it. At least you can change your president. You, you're empowered to at least um, make things happen. So, yes, there I think it's, it's not as focused on the media as on the change in general. People are really tired of this inability to choose a pres- new president of this inability to vote for somebody else, at least. I'm really glad we were able to get the Russian perspective for this podcast episode, because I think it's really important. And as Americans, we can only kind of give half of the story. But as Americans, we are also interested in what happens in America. So how well equipped is our own government to respond to this crisis? I mean, it is a crisis. Real people are changing their minds because of these stories that they're reading. And again, that threatens our public health. Can we ensure that Americans trust the news that is vetted, fact-based, and widely available? Or is there a real danger that people will be reading and trusting news that is not based on facts and peddled by a government other than ours who has their own interests? Unfortunately, the consensus right now is that America is not very prepared to respond to this crisis at all. Even our own United States senators have admitted that we're outmatched in this arena. Um, The Kremlin spends millions on messaging, and they have a lot of power to direct their media since it's all state-controlled. And unfortunately, um, our freedom in, in publication and news is also to our own detriment in this situation because there are so many publications that are not being regulated. And this is even really visible on social media, where social media companies have been confronted with this question of should we remove what people are saying if it's false, or does that create a conflict with their rights to express their opinion? Yeah, that's a really interesting dilemma. Do we keep all of our media outlets free, including social media, and have the potential of people reading information that might not be true? Or do we fall into a habit of censoring things more, which can also make us less free and fair and look like the very countries that we're trying not to be? So to end on a brighter note, what can listeners of this podcast do to make sure they don't fall prey to fake news stories? Well, the first thing I would recommend is 
to not get all of your news from social media or at least if you're seeing a news source linked on social media open the news article actually read it don't just you know give the headline a cursory glance it's important to have a, a diverse media diet not you know have tunnel vision stare at the same source every time and yeah that's just a way that individuals can do their part so that this disinformation crisis is is addressed and that's our episode this week thank you very much zoe for bringing us this week's story and a special thanks to our guest speaker professor borovskaya ellis if you like today's episode you can follow us on social media and listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Please be sure to like us and leave a review. Thank you for listening.